0: Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you are here, I just want to welcome you. If you're at home, I want to say welcome to the services of Calvary Baptist Church. I believe that you are in for a treat. I've been asking God all week long for Him to do something today and to do something among us. So I am anticipating, expecting God to move today. Who else is expecting God to move today? Anyone? It's so good to live with expectancy. And one of the things that i found in my life is sometimes the course of life brings us such events where we stop expecting God to move. And sometimes a vision that God has for us gets snuffed out before it actually takes root and really picks up. But, you know, I kind of learned this early in my life, not because of my walk with God, because I didn't have one at the time. But what I learned early in life is that destiny, what God has for us, ultimately, destiny has a level of uncertainty. Does anyone recognize that in their life? Destiny, what God has for you, has a level of uncertainty. I'll give you an example, not having to do with God, actually, Um, but I'll just give you this example. So I was was in grade school, and I was a little boy in grade school, and I was super insecure, and I thought, well, if I had a girlfriend, that would make my life complete. (laughs) That's what I thought. So I was like, if I had a girlfriend, I'm like... That's my girl, you know, and I don't even know. I was like in fourth or fifth grade, and, and I was super shy, so I had, I had kind of locked in on one particular little, little girl who uh, I had befriended, at least I thought so, and I didn't have the courage to ask her for her phone number. By the way, that was before texting was a thing. That was way back in the 1900s. Some of you don't even know what that was like. That was way back in the 1900s. I, I think we may be the last generation to be able to say that. I'm going to Till I die. So way back then in the 1900s, that was before cell phones or texting or we didn't even have a, a cordless phone in our house. Anybody else remember that, what it was like to not have a cord? Anybody else know what it was like to, to, be, to have to have a private conversation and you take your corded phone that's all coiled up and you've got to pull that joker as tight as possible because the phone wasn't in your room and you have to shut the door and it's like a piano string and you're like, Lord, don't fail me now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like that's what it was like when I was, I, I got the—I didn't have the courage to ask her for her phone number, but I got the courage to ask her out. At least I thought that's what I—yeah, woo, it was happening. <laughs> so I, I'm in—we at the time lived on 1024 West Vine here in town, and and my phone wasn't in my room; it was in the hallway. We had a, a wall phone. It wasn't, you know, it, it was a touch-tone phone. It wasn't a rotary phone. Some of you are like, I don't know. Let me know what phone you got here. It was a touch-tone, so all right, I got it. Some of you are, you, you go back a little further. I get that. So I, gra- I grabbed the phone, and I dialed it in, and I pulled that, that wire, the, you know, the, 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 the cord so tight, and I shut the door, and I was like, I finally got the gumption, so I, I call her. And my life is about to change, y'all. I mean, it's all about to change. It's all about to happen. My whole life is going to be complete because I know that she's going to say yes. Except, after I had asked her specifically, and I got the courage, and I called her, and she had no idea who it was, and, and so I started wheel started to go off of the thing really fast, and so so I tell her, and I just got up the gumption, and I said. I said, hey, I'm not going to say her name. I don't know. She may still live in town. Uh, She may be listening right now. I ain't going to say her name. But I said, hey, hey, I said, hey, uh, will you go out with me? And her words hurt my heart. Um, She said very confidently and loudly, no, not with you. I was like, how dare you? How could you ruin my life like this? See, I thought everything was going to be great, and I thought she was the one. I mean, after all, what fourth grader isn't convinced that he or she is the one? All of this to say, destiny has, always has a level of uncertainty. And the thing that we think must happen, or maybe will happen, or we're so convinced that it will, God has such a thing and such a path for us that he always brings about a level of uncertainty. I'm so glad that I didn't get what I thought I wanted. Amen? Anybody else that way? I'm so glad that I didn't get what I thought I wanted because you know what? What I got was God's gift to me by way of my wife. We've been married a long time, and we've been through a lot of things together, and our love is more vibrant now than it was the day that I met her. True story. I'm not just saying that because I'm on stage with the microphone. That is true. (laughs) Although I'm sure that helps. I'm sure it helps. (laughs) Destiny always has a level of uncertainty. Here's what I know. This is having to do with my walk with God. I went through a season in my life to where I stopped dreaming. I stopped dreaming about God's possibilities. I stopped dreaming about what it was that that God was doing in, in my midst, in our midst. I had a season to where I was just tired. I was exhausted. Much of it was my own fault. And then COVID came along and just exacerbated the issue that already existed in my heart and in my life. And what I know is I stopped dreaming. And although I was convinced that God was going to do something, I stopped dreaming. I stopped believing in, in a hopeful future of what God would have for me and then also leadership through me. and a friend of mine very close friend of mine he reminded me of something before we came here when he handed me this we were at lunch he knowing my struggle knowing what i had gone through knowing how i felt he gave me this at lunch and it brought me to tears because this is somebody who knew me, and he knew me in the struggle, and he seen me outside of the struggle, and what he saw in me was, yes, there's a level of uncertainty, yes, there was a level of exhaustion, yes, there's a level of pain, but God never gave up on me, and he also never gave up on the dream that he gave me. Although I had taken myself out for a season, he reminded me, don't forget to dream again. I want to encourage you this morning to don't forget to dream again. Don't forget to, to do the thing that God has been stirring in your heart that you're supposed to do. Don't forget to dream again. Don't that, that thing that you put on a shelf a long time ago and you gave a lot of reasons why well, you're not doing that thing anymore. And there's maybe there's reasons and there's stories and there's the past and your brokenness and all of these other things have led you to just put it on the shelf. I want you to be reminded of what my dear friend AJ said to me. He says, Don't forget to dream again. Ezra finds himself in a very difficult spot in our passage. We're going to actually begin in Ezra 7, just so we get the context flowing into Ezra 8. But he's in a, he's in a situation now to where he's convinced that God has brought him to this place. He's following a, a, another leader who was more of like a community leader than he was a spiritual leader. But we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, Ezra was a spiritual leader. And in in this season before him, God had brought prophets in by the name of Haggai and Zechariah. And now God has, has stirred in Ezra's heart that he is supposed to lead another group of exiles back into the promised land and to bring some spiritual reforms, not just physical reforms. And yet what we're going to see in ultimately the passage we spend more time on is we're going to see he's in the middle of this, but though he knows that God has brought him to this place, though he has this, this vision of a, of a preferred future, there's a, there's a stall. And I don't know how long it's a, how long it stalled, but you see that there's, there's a stall in what God is doing. And he pauses for a certain season of time. And what he is going to do is the same thing I'm going to actually ask you to do. Drawn right from our passage, so you can dream again. So maybe you can dream for the first time. Not just you as an individual, but us as a group, so that we can dream again. Not that we can just bring back and recall the good old days, because the good old days weren't as good as what we thought they were. But that God would use us as a body to shine the light of Jesus Christ in our community and through our community. That, that the kingdom of God would forcefully expand outside of these walls, outside of our, our little sanctioned govern, just gatherings, and yet that we would bring the message and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our city and to our county. This is the vision that God has for us. This is the dream that He has for us and also through us. But notice it doesn't end with us. The message of, of Ezra in Ezra 7 is an interesting one. Because what we talked about last week is Ezra had this, this certain he knew that he was on a mission from God to do this particular work. There's opposition that he he felt just like we feel, he struggled just like we struggled. And then through that, he's trusting God, and we'll pick it up in Ezra 7, verse 27. This is, the, this is the account. This is how uh, the initial struggle happens. And he's, he's going, trying to get his supplies in order and the people in order and trying to figure out how is it that I can go and lead this other group of exiles. A group not as big as the first group, but still a large group. Approximately six to 8,000 people, counting men, women, and children. And of which he would be the leader. By way of context, let's pick up verse 27 Praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put it into the Father's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials, because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me." So there was an obstacle. How's the king going to respond? Like, because the, the king went through. There were some, some people who basically stirred up some controversy and said, no, no, no. It's a hoax. It's not real. So then the king said, well, we need to go, ba- we need to go check the facts. So they went back into the archives. They found a letter, and the letter verified that the people of God were, were supposed to be allowed to go back to Jerusalem, which is what we just read about this account. That Ezra is praising God. It says, praise be to the the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put it into the the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, to allow them to go back. Now, to to spare you some details and for me to to read um, just a list of names, at the beginning of chapter 8 is just a list. Ezra is so detailed on the account. And he, he gives the list of the heads of the families who were sent back from captivity into Jerusalem. So we're not going to go through verses 1 through 14 because it's just a list of of names and descendants and descendants and back and forth and back and forth. You can read all of that on your own and struggle through those names if you would like to. It would be a lot of fun. Please record it and send it to me. But in verse 15 is where we're going to pick up what happens next. After he'd been given permission to bring the group back, the supplies were there. Verse 15 says this, "I assembled them at the canal that flows toward Ahava, and we camped there 3 days. When I checked among the people and the priest, I found no Levites there. So I summoned Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Yarib, El Nathan, Nathan Zechariah, Zechariah, and Meshullam, who were leaders in Johoriah." and Elmaton, who were men of learning. Pause right there for a moment. If you're somebody who underlines things in your Bible or in your device, we're going to pick up this idea, who were men of learning. These are the type of men that, that Ezra knew he needed to complete the task. So he gathered men of learning at the end of verse 16. And I sent them to Edu, the leader of Kesaphia, and I told them what to say to Edu and his kinsmen, the temple servants of in Kesaphia, so that they might bring attendance to us for the house of our God. Notice, uh, here's another repetitive theme throughout Ezra's work. He says this because the gracious hand of our God was on us. They brought us to Sherebiah, a capable man. Underline that if you would. Uh, From the descendants of Mali, sons, uh, son of Levi, the son of Israel, the son, uh, and, excuse me, and Sherebiah, uh, sons and brothers, men. And Hashabiah, together with uh, Jeshiah, from the descendants of Merari and his brothers and nephews, 20 men. And they brought 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and the officials had established to assist the Levites, all who were registered by name. So now we not only see a list of names, but you also see the types of people. That Ezra gathered around him because he knew that the work that he was about to get into was a work that, that he himself could not complete. So notice, again, that the repetitive theme over the last couple chapters as we've been studying Ezra, this... Oh, familiar phrase, because the gracious hand of our God was on us. So Ezra is being mindful of knowing that, yes, we're accomplishing this great vision, this this version of the future, that we're going to go back to the promised land. But he says, we're not doing this under our own power. He's saying we are blessed by God. That's the reason why we can do this, because God's hand is upon us. So he's not taking credit for it. Verse 21. There... By the the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. So we're going to drill down specifically starting in verse 21. The first takeaway, if you have an info card, the first takeaway is this. If God has given you a, a vision of the future, there's something you need to do, a task you need to accomplish. Just a, You know that the, God, that, that the God of the universe is blessing you with this ability to do something, at least to start something, to be a catalyst of your own future. We're going to pick up this idea in verse 21. Go public with confidence. Go public with confidence. There's something special when God has given you a vision of something that has to be, that must be, for you to go public. If you don't go public with that, the likelihood of that actually coming to fruition is really, really small. It's important that you go public, that you tell trusted people around you, that you gather people around you just like Ezra did. Notice the, the type of people that he gathered around him. I ask you to highlight uh, these things if you're a highlighter in your Bible. At the end of verse 16, these men of what? Learning. And also there was this other man who was a capable man. These are the type of of men and people that Ezra surrounded himself with. Ezra knew that the vision that God had given Ezra was not just something he could accomplish on his own. There has to be a time and place, if God has given you a vision of something that you need to do, whether it's to reconcile your finances, reconcile your marriage, reconcile your family, reconcile with another brother or sister in Christ, there is a time that it will be required of you to go public with confidence. For you to go public. I believe, and I've seen this in my own life, and I've also seen this in the the many lives that I've had the ability to touch and counsel through the years. God can give a vision to someone, and it may never come to fruition if they don't actually vocalize it to another brother or sister in Christ. It just happens. But I also want to let you know this. This is what happens in verse 21. You see this. There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. So he's gathered. It isn't just him. Now he's gone public. This is what we're gonna do. They're gathering around the Ahava Canal. It's a whole group of people, they're massed together, but six to approximately six to eight thousand people, men, women, and children, all gather together and they're waiting to see what God may say through Ezra. So they're looking at him. But I want you to know this from personal experience. Although it looks like they're responding right now in this passage favorably to his leadership. Just because God has given you a vision of something that must be, that has to be, doesn't mean that everybody around you is going to cheer on that work. When we went into full-time ministry, I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you that, that, that when we were... Basically, the Lord revealed to us that we were going to go into vocational ministry because we began a life of ministry the day we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Did you know that you did that too? The day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ was the day I entered ministry. And it's the same with you if you're brother and sister in Christ. But, but the Lord was calling me out of, out of the aviation industry that I had been into, into vocational, meaning paid, ministry. And although we were excited, we, we, we would gather around here with many of you. We'd have conversations. You were excited about our future. God had given us a vision of some things that needed to happen. And yet there were some, some things that the Lord had not revealed yet, but it was just so exciting. And yet many, we had gone back to some of our family members, and we'd share that excitement with them, and they were less than excited. It, it caused me, I'm like, oh, okay. Even within myself, I was, I was confident. I knew that God was stirring us to do this, and I knew that I was going to do it. And, and Marla knew the same thing. We, were, we had con- deep conviction that God was in it. And yet, even in that moment when some of the family actually responded harshly to what we said what God was doing in us, it made me stop for a minute and say, God, are you sure? Is this what you have for us? Because I thought everybody would be excited. Because I'm excited. Other people are excited. Why, why are these people not excited? So just because you go forward with confidence doesn't mean that everybody's going to be excited about what God wants you to do. Some people are. They're not even followers of Jesus at all. So they don't even understand. They, they don't even understand what it is that God's doing. And you can't expect them to understand. Their eyes are still veiled. They're still spiritually blind. If you're not in Christ, you're spiritually blind. That's that's the reality. But yet if you're in Christ, just because you can spiritually see doesn't mean that everybody is at the same level of discipleship. Some people are really early in their discipleship. Some people have been a Christian for 20 years and they're still really early in their discipleship, sadly. So just because you go forward with confidence, even to other brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't mean that they're discipled enough to know that they should be excited about what God's doing in your life. But that doesn't mean that you should stay silent. I'll, I'll add to this idea with this: courage is not thoughtlessness, and caution is not cowardness. So just because you're going to go forward with confidence, it doesn't mean that you're that to be cur- you know to be courageous means it's thoughtlessness. Well, I'm just going to go do it and barrel through it. No, 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 that's not what Ezra did. He knew that God was stirring him and that group of people, thousands of people, to go back to the promised land. But what did he do? He gathered himself around men of learning and around capable men. You and I, if we're going to discern what God's vision and future and hope is in our life, and if he's given you a preferred future, that is discerned through community, not isolation. So it is through community you share that through you share that through other brothers and sisters in Christ to say, "Hey, I think God is stirring my heart to do this thing. I think this is what God wants me to do. I'm not really sure if it is or not, but I want to bring this forward to you. Let me know what you think. If if you've examined my life over a span of these months and years, tell me. Do you see this being true in my life? Courage is not thoughtlessness and caution is not cowardness. Just because you're maybe a little cautious doesn't mean that you're a coward. But there has to be a moment to where you operate with courage and even some caution to move forward with God's vision for your life. Ezra 8.22 says this, that the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all those who forsake him. The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. So when you go, you go public with confidence, brother and sister in Christ, do so knowing that the gracious hand of your God is on everyone who looks to him. You're not operating alone. You're not operating alone. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we don't do the thing that God is stirring in our hearts to do. If we were to do a deep dive in the life of Ezra, we would see certain intangibles about Ezra. One of the things I believe that we would see is Ezra had confidence in the power of God. He had had confidence in the power of God. He knew and he just repeated to, to you and I that the gracious hand of God was upon him and also upon God's people. And he reminds us over and over and over, this isn't just, it just isn't some whim or some idea that he dreamt up. This was God was stirring in his heart to do. This was a fulfillment of the promises of God that would only be fulfilled through the power of God. Psalm 20 verse 6 is, is a hopeful connection here as well. And it says this, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He answers Him from His holy heaven with the saving power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This tells a story. And it continues in verse 8. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Also, not only do we see that Ezra had a confidence in God's power, but also he had a confidence in God's faithfulness. I told you last week he was referred to as the second Moses. Well, how could that be? Well, it's because he brought people from a place of captivity into a, into a place of freedom, like Moses. But also, Moses was, was God's man at the time, leading the people, and they would look upon him. And that's the same kind of posture that they had had with Ezra. It's the same posture that he had with Ezra. Ezra had confidence in God's faithfulness. He had confidence in God's faithfulness. His connection with God led him to to have courage from God and conviction for the things of God. And the same thing will ring true in your life. The more you grow connected with God and the deeper you grow in your relationship with God, the more courage God is going to give you and the more conviction he's going to give you for the things of God. We can, we can have conviction for a lot of the wrong things. Another one of the intangibles that we would see in Ezra's life is this. He had confidence in God's mercy. He had confidence in God's mercy. Just as I was having a conversation with, with Paula just a couple of moments ago, actually, she not knowing that I was going to use this in this, in this uh, message, but Lamentations 3, through 24 is a great reminder Of God's mercy. Because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Just as we sung a couple moments ago. Such a great reminder. Is it not? I say to myself. The Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. I want you to know that it's. You're going to. We should go. Public with confidence, but make no mistake, your confidence will be tested. Your confidence will be tested. And I believe that that God is in this testing. Notice what it says in verse 22, chapter 8 of Ezra. You may have missed it on the reading. Notice what happens. They're, they're now mounting in verse 21 by the Ahava canal. He's proclaimed a fast. They're humbling themselves before God, asking him for a safe journey for, for himself and, and all the children and all their possessions. And notice what comes next in verse 22. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him but his great anger is against all who forsake him. Notice that, that he's gone Forward, he's gone public with confidence. It's like, yes, we're going to do this thing. He's prayed. They're fasting. All of them, this great spiritual moment. And notice what happens next. Although that there was, it was written in the letter that he was supposed to have military protection the whole journey. All 900 miles, he was promised to have military protection. They were a non-militant people going through a militant land. And although... He could have. It says in verse 22, he says, I was ashamed. That's an interesting word. It's a word I I looked into and I thought, well, is this, does it mean ashamed? Like we would think the word ashamed. Then I I checked to see what the word meant and it, it meant ashamed. And I was like, okay, well, let me dig a little deeper. Let me look at other translations of the Bible that you're probably looking at right now. What word would they use? Guess what word they used? How'd you know? Yes, they would use the word ashamed. There's something there. It's, how could, could Ezra in this moment, he says, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road. He was ashamed. It's because he's stuck with this, Hey, I've just gone public with confidence knowing that, that the gracious hand of God is upon me. But he was also ashamed to ask the king for military protection. Seems like these two things are at odds, doesn't it? You see, his confidence is being tested. There would have been nothing wrong with having military protection to help with their safety of travel. And and maybe I'm reading into it, but that word ashamed is there for a reason. So I look at that and I'm thinking, was Ezra ashamed because... In one way, he, he really believed that they should have military protection. And in the other side, he says, no, no, no. I keep saying that the gracious hand of God is upon us. What am I supposed to do? And it's like in he's, when he's writing this after the fact, he says, I'm ashamed. Maybe thinking that he should have just asked for the military help for the whole journey through. Although we knew get there, that they get there safely. So we see this this clear illustration right here in this passage that although he he has confidence, that confidence is being tested. That confidence is being tested. Just because you have confidence that God is doing something in you and through you doesn't mean that it's all going to be easy. What I can tell you is that God works through all adversity. And he continues to work. He's faithful like that. Even in the times and seasons where we're unfaithful, where we do the wrong thing, God faithfully endures. That's a good place for an amen, everybody. God faithfully endures. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows the path you've taken. And He knows the path you're going to be on in the future. And God is faithful throughout. A passage that echoes this truth comes from Romans 8, 28, familiar to many of us. And if you've seen the the TV show on Netflix, Manifest, they butcher this verse, by the way. They 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 use it in a worldly sense, not in the fulfilling sense of what God intended through the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And it says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to what? His purpose. And if you are in Christ, if you are a brother and sister in Christ, God has given you purpose. He's given you a unique calling. God, He's given you a preferred future. He's given you a vision of things that must happen, and they have to happen, as He wants you to obey Him and to walk those out in fulfillment. Not for, for you to do that alone, but to do that under His power. Rick Warren, is. we're just going to dig deeper into this. Rick Warren, in, in one of the messages that I... I listened to a long time ago. He breaks down this, this testing into two different ways, and I think this is meaty enough for us to sit on for a couple minutes. There's what he calls the pressure testing, and it answers this, how will you handle stress? The pressure testing. How will you handle stress? So your confidence will be tested. And sometimes it just feels like stress. And how we handle that stress is a reminder. It's this, it's this pressure testing. How, you, how you're going to handle this stress. And this isn't saying that, that, you, that God doesn't love you. God does love you. But yet, He allows us to, to feel this, this testing. Because through this testing, He continues to soften our heart and soften our heart. But when we have pressure testing, it answers the question, how will you handle stress? How will you handle the adversity that will come? If you step forward with confidence about the vision of the future that God is stirring you to have, how will you handle this stress? Will you turn tail and run away from God's vision? Will you bury your head and hide from God's vision and pretend that it didn't exist? Or will you stand with confidence in knowing that the gracious hand of God is upon you? So he talks about this pressure testing, answers the question, how will you handle stress? And stress is coming. Stress is coming. You know, it's an interesting thing when we start talking about the the testing that happens. And the confidence, although God has stirred a vision. And I believe this wholeheartedly. Sometimes if we don't have some level of adversity or testing, we actually don't know where we are spiritually. We see this in other aspects of life too. In 1994, I bought my first brand new car. I bought it at Trinity Motors when it was right off of the square. Some of you remember that. Now it's a gigantic parking lot. And I'm not proud of this, but I can tell you the car that I traded in, it literally died into the parking place as I was turning that car in. We'd already signed the paperwork and we were turning it on, but the car turned itself off and it died right then and there. I have no idea how they got that taken care of. That was their problem. That's the way I looked at it. <laughs> But it was a 1994 Cavalier, and it, uh, it was, at that time, I was early in the Navy, was not making hardly anything. We needed a reliable car to be able to drive back to Illinois from Florida, blah, 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 all these things. So the car was not flashy. It didn't have a whole lot. Uh, it did have a good sound system. I mean, priorities, you know. It did have that. Um, it, it, had, it had hand crank, um, you know, the old Armstrong version of window crank. Couldn't afford power power uh, windows did have power locks because they came stock and what it's what it did have was this thing called anti-lock brakes and i had never heard of such thing i'd never had a car that had anti-lock brakes the other kind of brakes was was the kind you mash on and you pray you don't hit something before you actually stop that was the kind of brakes that i had before that and because all my other cars were kind of jalopies um so they just weren't nice cars but this was like nice and anti-lock brakes Interesting thing about these brakes, you can tell me that I, ha- that I had antilock brakes and it didn't mean anything until you had to apply those brakes. I remember one, one time we had to apply those brakes. Well, I would say Marla had to apply those brakes, actually. <laughs> and we lived in Orange Park, Florida, and we were driving down the road not too far from where we lived, and there was an accident that happened right in front of us, and then Marla mashes the brakes, and antilock brakes were, were really kind of neat at the time. They, they didn't just, like slam on the brakes, and then you skid till you stop. It was like, boom, 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 and That's kind of the way it felt to where you, you're like, I don't know if this is working or not, but, you know, it did work. We didn't die, so that was good. And But you could tell me all day long that this car had anti-lock brakes, but it was in that moment I was like, that's what anti-lock brakes are, and I'm glad that they worked. Sometimes faith is in the same, it's, it has kind of the same type of feel. Unless we have some sort of testing, we don't know how strong our faith actually is. So God brings about sometimes this level of of pressure testing to remind us, hey, this is how you're going to handle stress, because how you handle stress is probably how you handle everything. But he also has a different type of of testing, and he calls people testing. This is the hardest type of testing i found, actually. So there's the the people testing, and it answers this question. How will you handle disappointment? How will you handle disappointment? How will you handle the disappointment of not getting the thing that you thought that you couldn't live without? How will you handle that disappointment? How will you handle the disappointment that though you've gone public with confidence about what God wanted to do in you, and then it was met with adversity, it was met with, with pressure, it was met with pain back from you, it was met with, with confusion, it was met with just a wall of disbelief, how are you going to handle That type of people testing when you are left with disappointment. I'm thankful that God works in and through all of these circumstances. That even though we may feel stress, God is telling us something about ourselves. He's telling us something about our faith. And although we may feel a level of disappointment, and we will always have levels of disappointment in this life. We all will. And in through these things, God is shaping us and he's molding us to be more like him. The psalmist in Psalm 26 two says it in this way. And this is such a bold prayer. Like this is such a bold prayer because the, the, the human tendency because of the, the sin nature that's in us is to turn away from, from God's vision when adversity, when pressure, whether it's pressure testing or people testing comes, the, the tendency is to turn away But yet, if we were to walk in the light of Christ, living in the righteousness of Christ, knowing that we have a true identity that's rooted in Christ, we can boldly pray this prayer. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. If you want to set your spiritual life on fire, be bold enough to go to God and pray this prayer. If you want to see your life change, you want to see your finances change, you want to see your marriage change, you want to see your family dynamic change, you want to see reconciled relationships, you want to see a church who is a vibrant church and who doesn't exist for themselves, but they exist for the glory of God and the good of the community. If you want to see that change, and if your heart is like me and want to see that change, pray this prayer. Pray that prayer. This puts, the, this puts a level of responsibility on, on the individual and not on somebody else to fix your life. This puts a level of responsibility to own where you are and who you are in that given moment. I'm just so thankful that if we're in Christ, we're also grace people. So we, we live in grace and we boldly ask that God test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart. Examine my mind where are you this morning who are you this morning has there been a level of pressure testing and you're just you're so stressed out and it seems like the world's coming against you coming against what God wants to do in and through you and maybe this morning you're, you're listening to that and you're like I've been in a season of this and it's been a season for way too long What have you done? What have you been doing? Maybe for you, you've just it hasn't been the pressure testing, it's people testing. and there's disappointment after disappointment and disappointment. It's your kids are disappointed you, your spouse is disappointed, your, your boss is disappointed, your friends have disappointed you like you're just in a level of disappointment. What have you been doing with that disappointment? I want to end on the last thing that you would write down. In your info card, and it's this. And we see this right in the passage. I'll read the passage, and I'll tell you the point. Notice after, Ezra says, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road, because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God was on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. Notice what it says in verse 23. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. The last point is this. Your confidence will be proven worthy. Your confidence will be proven worthy. Because if indeed God has revealed to you that thing that you're supposed to do... God has not given up on you and He's not given up on your dream. He wants your heart to be in alignment with His to release you to accomplish that God dream. So your confidence will be proven worthy. So they gathered together. God had stirred their hearts. They had fasted. They had prayed. Verse 31 And 32 says this, On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. They had traveled. Now you see a span of time over several months. They had traveled 900 miles. God had delivered them. The preferred future that God had given Ezra and given the people of God is now in fulfillment. Your confidence will be proven worthy just like theirs was proven worthy. If you think about this through the realm of, through the, realm of the gospel, the gospel message is, is a very clear message, is it not? Because the gospel message tells a story about the God who went all the way to the cross. The one who who knew no sin, but took upon our sin. Bearing its sin, bearing our sin, and the shame that came with it on the cross. That God went all the way for us. In verse 17 of the gospel of John chapter 3 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Your confidence will be proven worthy because we already, if you are in Christ, you have the hope of the gospel already. You have the presence and power of God exuding through you already. Because we celebrate a God who went all the way to the cross for you and I. I invite you to stand now. It blows me away when I'm reminded that we serve a God who went all the way to the cross. Who lived a life, who felt the same things that we feel. He had the same temptations that we feel. Even in in the wrestling, you know this, even in the, the wrestling, and we could read this in in John 17, he's, he's wrestling that there was a preferred future, that he was going to the cross, and then ultimately that would, that, would, that would have a day of silence. And then on Easter Sunday, the resurrection day, there would be an empty tomb, a celebration. Eventually the church, weeks later, the church would be launched. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands would get saved. And now, thousands of years later, the church is still moving forward. But even in, in John 17... You can read it for yourself. That Jesus is, he's praying and he's wrestling with this future. Knowing what the future holds. You see his his humanity in full view. And even in the midst of that, Jesus went all the way to the cross for you and I. Thus in a million ways showing us that our confidence in God will and always has been worthy where are you this morning are you caught up in a level of testing and you're you're pushing back from that testing you're just pushing back pushing back pushing back you just you're trying to get so far away from it you're trying to ignore it oh what you need to do to move forward in life is not to ignore that testing but to go to God boldly in prayer and say, God, test me. Show me if there's anything in my heart and my mind that is, that is unworthy of the calling you've put on my life. Oh, this is, a, this is a, just a special sanctified moment right here in this space. An opportunity for you to repent. Of maybe times where you haven't handled that testing well the pressure testing and handle stress and maybe you haven't handled the people testing and you've been just writing people off left and right and left and right because you're just so frustrated because you've been disappointed and maybe you've just given up on people oh, 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 oh we're on to something here maybe somebody told you what the vision that God had given them was maybe God had given you that, given somebody else that vision and yet they told you and as soon as they told you, you tried your best to extinguish that vision. Oh, if that's, if that's what you've done, here's an opportunity for you to repent also. I want you to know this, God is, God is, is moving. He's moving right now. He's stirring hearts right now. He's reminding you of something that you've done or maybe somebody you have been. Now it's time you do the thing that he's calling you to do. Maybe you just need to go public with confidence and say, you know what? I am not going to be ashamed of what I've done. Instead, I'm going to go to the altar. I'm not going to be ashamed of my past. I'm going to go to the altar. I'm going to pray at the altar. I'm going to give it to God. It's going to be the last time I give it to God. And I'm not going to be ashamed to do so in public. You know, I've been sitting on that point of the message for a while because I think that some people in the seats right now are stuck because they feel ashamed that if they actually come forward and other people see that they come forward, that somehow that they, that they will be looked down upon. You know, that's not the way it works. And that's not the way God sees you. Here's what I know. There are people in this room who believe in you. And they want to see you succeed. They want to see you take the next step and they want to celebrate that next step. What is the step that God has for you? Is it here in this space to come forward and pray? You can come forward and pray right now. You can come right now. Don't delay, we can come right now. Maybe it's, it's praying in your seats. Maybe it's a conversation that needs to be had after the service. Maybe it's for you to go to a trusted brother and sister to go public with confidence and to say, this is what I believe God wants me to do. Can Can you give me some wise counsel so I can see it through? What does God want you to do? I don't know what God wants you to do, but I can guarantee you one thing. This is one thing I know that God definitely does not want you to do. And that's nothing. God wants you to do something. What is it? The altar's open. There'll be people here to pray with you. There's people who love you. We celebrate a risen Lord. The hope of the gospel flows through every believer. If you don't know Jesus Christ, this would be a great time for you to come forward to say, I don't know Jesus you talk about this Jesus and I feel like my eyes are spiritually covered over I can't see and experience Jesus in my heart like, I, like, I, like you say that I can then if that's the case you may not be saved at all this is the time for you to give your life to Jesus it's the, it's the one time that, that, that God can, can use in this moment to open your eyes to see him for who he is for him to give you the vision hopeful future. What is it that God wants you to do today? If God's stirring you to come forward, do it now.